But let's open up in prayer, and then we're going to just pick up in Romans chapter 8 where we left off last time. We'll do a little bit of review. I love this chapter, so I'm just going to probably, as long as I can, as long as I can get away with it, I'm just going to start at the beginning of the chapter and read to the text that we're at each time. Um, just so that it's just, you know, there, there's so much, um, so much in this. This is, Honestly, the climax of this book, I feel, um, we're kind of steadily easing into it, and I just uh, as there's there's part of me that just kind of wants to just wants to stay in this. Um, so y'all just pray with me as we as we start this afternoon. Lord, I thank you for this day, for your uh, many wonderful blessings and life. Uh, I am so undeserving. Um, your grace and your mercy is poured out on me. Uh, each and every day um, in ways that that really uh, I just stand in awe of the patience that you have uh, with me. Um, Lord, I want to thank you for that, the grace that you show towards me and my stubbornness in the places in my life where I'm maybe less sanctified than than I should be, I just ask that you would forgive me there and that your Holy Spirit would continue working um, doing this thing that you're doing for all of your children, just kind of conforming us into the image of Christ, Lord. Um, so I just want to stand before you now, Lord, saying, forgive me. I know that I uh, fall short in so many ways, um, and I ask that uh, you would um, seal my lips tonight, that I speak nothing of my own, but that the truth of your word, the truth of who we are as Christians would just roll forth from the pages of this book, that we would be encouraged by it, that we would be set on fire by it to be servants um, in this world, lifting high the name of Christ. Um, Lord, I also want to just lift up those who might not have been able to be with us here tonight for sickness or just, you know, maybe exhausted from the the, the weight that, that their lives have uh, been just playing in these days for them. just I just ask that you would renew them, refresh them. Um, where sickness is entered in, I ask for healing. Uh, for those who are suffering, Lord, as we approach uh, tonight, even bumping into um, what, what we will find to be um, the passage of text that for me in my life and probably the darkest hour or darkest days of my life that you used it as kind of a uh, a life raft of hope. Um, I pray that for those who are suffering here tonight, um, that we would learn from your word how to suffer well, um, that we would learn that the hope that we have is so much greater than the cares that weigh down on us now, and that that I'm not going to be naive, Lord, to say that that if they just hold that, then they're not going to have stress or concern. But, Lord, I pray that you would make the truth of that hope real for us in ways that would be liberating, in ways that would set us free now, Lord, that, that you would uh, sanctify us through your word. It's in Christ's name, and it's for his glory. Amen. Uh, so we're going to be in chapter 8. We're going to be touching, or the new scripture that we're going to be looking at tonight is going to be chapter 8, verse 10, through chapter 8, verse 17, right? So we've got 
a little bit of work ahead of us. Uh, I want us to kind of start back, like I said, in chapter 8, verse 1, so that we can just kind of get comfortable in the context of what this book is trying to tell us. Um, so let's, let's go ahead and start chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, or there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who are we, the church? We are those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I want us, as we push through this text, to get comfortable with that, right? To get comfortable with who we are, where we are, and how that should affect the way that we live out our lives, right? So, last week we touched on the mind, right? We touched on the mind and the importance of the mind for believers in living out the Christian life that we've been called to live. And I want you to know that one of the primary ways that we can influence our minds so that we can live this truth out is knowing who we are, right? So you, 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 you will probably hear me throughout this chapter continue to ask you, do you, do you know who you are? Right? As believers, do you know who you are? Right? And I want you, as you go out and as you consider that question throughout your life, as you spend time in God's Word, I want you to just maybe meditate on that, dig into God's Word, consider who you are. First, I want us to know this, that, that you, the church, you who have placed your faith in Christ, this chapter is the greatest hope that you can hold on to in this world. The truth that is poured out, in, out to us in this chapter is a, is a truth that if, if we could grasp hold of it, would transform the way that we live. And, and, and I'm serious in that. I'm talking if the truth of this would take hold of us, where we believed it without a shadow of a doubt, if we allow the truth of this text to transform our minds, right? And it's working now in us. This is the process of sanctification that's taking place in us. But if we allow that to continue on, right? It will transform every aspect of the way that we live our lives, right? So, first thing in transforming your mind is knowing who you are and knowing this that you are those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have placed your faith in Him, this is what I want us to get. And there's going to be some evidence to this that we're going to see as we dig in. So who are you? You can know who you are. Right? Believers, you can know without question, without shadow of a doubt, who you are. You can know if this is you, that you are in Christ. Because I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit is in you if you are in Christ. Right? And this is going to be a truth that we're going to explore throughout this book because the sanctifying work that takes place in us is not us trying to be better people, us trying to live better lives, but it is the Holy Spirit doing what the Holy Spirit was sent to do. Right? And the Holy Spirit changes who we are. 
by changing and renewing our minds and by pressing forth in that into all aspects of our lives. So you are those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ. Again, who are you? You are those who are in Christ. You are free in Christ. Jesus, from the law of sin and death, for God has done. Who has done? God has done this work, right? Chapter 8, verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. This is why it's not you and your effort in trying to be good. Because your flesh is weak. You sin by your nature if you're not changed and continuing to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are being transformed. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The law, the requirements of the law, you as a believer who are in Christ, you know what that means for you and the requirements of the law, that it is fulfilled in you. It's fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How are you walking? This is the question. This is where I say that that it's clear to know who we are because we can examine ourselves. Right? And if we are in the flesh, then we will find ourselves churning, churning never making progress. Churning always find our, finding ourselves in the same places that we were years and years and years ago. That is what the flesh will do. But you are not those who live in the flesh. You're not those who walk according to the flesh, but you walk according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, where do they set their minds? They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So, church, where are you placing your mind? What are you thinking about? What are the concerns of your heart filled with? What are the worries that you have? What are the thoughts that you find consume you day after day? Are they spiritual thoughts? Or are they fleshly, earthly thoughts? Again, it can be clear, very clear, who we are. Because if you're in the flesh, you will not think of spiritual and heavenly things. That will not be your concern. You will see those things as absolute foolishness. If you are in the flesh, the truth of God is foolishness to you. Because here's, here's what I want to tell you is that your hope, and we've covered this before, is in a dead and raised from the dead Savior. A king rejected by his own people, placed on a cross, killed, placed in a grave, and then some people said that he was alive and they couldn't find his body. Right? So you serve what in the world, in the flesh view, is a very foolish, foolish religion. So you will not consume yourself with those thoughts if you are of the flesh. 
But if you find yourselves consumed by the spiritual, it is because the spiritual has come to consume you. Right? God, this is the truth of the gospel, is that we did not seek Him out, He sought us out instead. For to set the mind on the flesh, verse 6, is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Again, consider your thoughts. Consider your mind and where it is at. Is it in a place that, that is peaceful, restful? Or do you find yourselves overwhelmed and consumed by the things of this world? Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you wonder why you make no progress? If you're in the flesh, it's because in no way can you make progress. In no way in the flesh can you please God. This is why He sent someone to dwell within your life that changes you from the inside out. Right? This is the work that's taking place in us as believers. 9. Chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now, believer, I want you, I want you to, this is another one of those truths that I want you to rest in. This is another one of those things that I want you to consider. This is not to say that you will never struggle and that you will never wage war because you will daily wage war. But this is a truth that you need to hold on to in the midst of the battles is that you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And this is why I'm making such a big fuss over God dwelling in you. Because if God does not dwell in you, then you are in the flesh. Right? If God is not in you, then you are not His. This is the truth that we explored last week. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Can I make that any clearer? Is there any way that I could reword that? That that wouldn't be absolutely evident. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. What does that mean then if you do have the Spirit of Christ? That you are His. That you are His. That you are in Him And we're going to see that He is with you. And you are with Him. Right? So I want you to understand that this walk as a believer, our walk is not one that says, how do I I fulfill this law, this law, this law, this law? How do I rest instead in Christ? How do I live my life with Christ? How do I consume my mind with spiritual thoughts of who Christ is? How glorious He is. The the purpose that He's placed me here for. And what we're going to find is that these, these ideas, when they invade our minds, they supersede the cares and concerns of this world. Right? So that what once was trials and tribulations, now become opportunities for rejoicing in who Christ is. So that we, as we have our minds renewed by the power of the Spirit, learn 
as the apostles say time and time again in the New Testament, that we can rejoice in sufferings. Right? That we can rejoice in sufferings. And I want to tell you that that is one of the most contrary thoughts that the flesh is going to run up against. How in the world can you rejoice in suffering? And here's what I want to tell you. The reason that the flesh has trouble with that is because the flesh is tied to the things and concerns of this world. And if all that there is is the cares and concerns of this world, then the more you suffer here, the less you're happy here. And the less you're happy here, the more miserable life you lived. And you have a short amount of time. So if your cares and concerns are fleshly and worldly, then the best thing... The best thing is for the most time possible you to be happy. And unfortunately, because many within the church have a mindset that is not spiritual, but is instead fleshly, we find ourselves chasing after those same thoughts. And we find that if we're in places in our lives where we're struggling or where we're dealing with troubles or tribulations, we we think, well, I'm completely... Out in, out in the woods. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. I thought that the preacher told me that everything was supposed to be all good whenever I came to Jesus. And Maybe you're reading the wrong books. Maybe you're filling your mind with the, with the wrong gospel. Okay? Now, I, wanna, I want you to hold to a promise, okay, that everything's going to be okay. Okay, I want you to know this, that God is working everything out to be better than you could have hoped that it would be. Right? Even if in the middle of this life it seems like things are going crazy, and you hold to a hope of a God that is bigger than your problems. Do you, do you serve a God that is bigger than your trials and tribulations for today? Right? I think that the evidence of the cross should be for us in the midst of our darkest days that we serve a God who has used the darkest day in history for the greatest good of His people. Right? Do we understand? I want us, that's why I say fix your eyes on Christ so that when you're in your darkest day and you question if these things are working together for good, you reflect on the cross. You reflect on the cross. The darkest of days. Because you think that you're innocent and undeserving of whatever trials and tribulations you go through when the only one who was punished that was not deserving of any trials, troubles, or tribulations was the Lamb of God who was slain spotless on the cross for us. So it is with this mindset, it is with this understanding that we know that we serve a God who is with us, in us, working in all things for the good of His people. Ultimate good. Ultimate good. I want you to get an understanding that there is a difference between today being a good day and ultimate good. Right? I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that. Sometimes we're gonna, we're gonna find that sometimes in this life, life hurts for the good of us in the end. 
Right? We're going to kind of push into these truths. And one analogy that might work well with that, my daughter's got a couple of splinters in the past. And let me tell you that pulling a splinter out of her foot is no fun task at all. And, and in the midst of pulling out one of these splinters, she, if you were to be standing outside of our door as we were pulling splinters, you would think we beat our children. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you would think that we like were cutting body parts off or something, screaming bloody murder, right? The first time that we did, <laughs> and Chick is strong. Adrian has to get me to hold her down. I'm like, Adrian, you're going to have to hold her because I can't hold her down. I'm having to hold her foot. I'm like, baby, it is going to be okay. It is going to be okay. That needle looks scary. That needle looks scary, but it ain't near as bad as your foot rotting off. <laughs> right? It ain't as bad as gangrene, just let me tell you. Okay, so it may hurt a little, but ultimately I have better in store than you limping for the rest of your days or having a peg leg, right? So we're going to deal with a little bit of pain and a little bit of suffering now because ultimately something better will result from it. This is the hope that we have in the gospel. And this is why what we're going to find as we press through this truth is that we find in the midst of the most joyous chapter in all, all of Scripture, we find embedded there the reality of suffering. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you, that we don't always know the whys immediately. Right? I'm not promising you that you're going to say ten years later, you're going to be like, you know, I get that. I get exactly why that event happened there. I saw it. It may be something that outlasts your lifetime. God's plans are bigger than your lifetime. Understand that. The purpose that he's working out is something ultimately not centered on you, but centered on Christ for your benefit. And the benefits to you are just... Let's dig through Scripture and we're going we're gonna to see just the beauty of these benefits. Verse 10, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, I want to spend just a moment to kind of throw some wrenches that, you know, in, the, in the works. Because as I read this passage of text, there's some things that jump out at me that I'm like, that's, um, I don't know if I, and is he, is, is he here? Okay, is you like the Trinity, right? You like the Trinity. Your dad told me that you like the Trinity. So um, the Trinity's awesome. And then when you start preaching about it, you're like, I don't know enough about I don't know enough about it to make it clear. So I'm gonna do my best to point out some things that are all awesome and awfully fearful for me <laughs> to dig into because I'm like, man, I ain't ready. I ain't, I've been studying this book for years and I ain't ready for this. I want you to look at the wording that we find in this and I want us to draw out from this particular, a particular truth, right? So chapter 8 verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. I'm good with that. If in fact the Spirit of who? God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So do you see how in one verse Paul throws Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ out? And I'm good with that. I'm like, okay, so that's straight up, that's the Holy Spirit. And that's absolutely clear. And then he goes into verse 10. And he's trying, apparently, he's trying to confuse, trying to confuse me. Or he's trying to show us something absolutely amazing in all of this. I'm gonna lean towards the latter, um, believing that God is trying to show us something amazing. Um, y'all tell me what it is whenever y'all figure it out. <laughs> I'm teasing. 
<laughs> chapter chapter 8, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, so Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, now Christ Himself. Now there's a couple of ways that we could possibly interpret this. Either the Holy Spirit is in you, which it seems clear, right? God's given us the Holy Spirit. We've been covering this for weeks. And also the Spirit of Christ is in you, right? We just said Spirit of Christ, so we say, well, that means the Holy Spirit. And then it says Christ Himself is in you, right? Now where's Christ? So when Jesus was with His peeps after the resurrection... In his body, you could touch him, he could eat, he was walking around, he was talking. Where was he? He was with them. And then he goes out, and he goes up into the clouds, and he doesn't vaporize, right? Right? He doesn't vaporize. He's enveloped by clouds, and angels come down, and angels say, he's coming back in the exact way that he went. Right? And he doesn't vaporize on purpose. Right, He doesn't go into this spiritually ghosty thing on purpose because what God wants us to know is the resurrection is real and the hope that we have in resurrected bodies, physical bodies that you will be able to touch, is real. He does this. Christ ascends, clouds get Him. And He's coming back. In the same way as He left. What does that mean? He's coming back in His body. Right? The, and we're going to cover this not next Sunday night, but the next Sunday night we're going to cover because I think that, that your hope for eternity is smaller than what your hope for eternity actually is. Right? Like many of you think that eternity will be boring and it will absolutely not in any way be boring. And we, I saw some, I saw some of you like, no way. I don't think it's going to be boring because if I said that, Kip's going to excommunicate me. That I might, I don't want to be the first one that they do church discipline on. So it's not going to be boring at all, right? Until I find one of y'all that goes to sleep during my long-winded message tonight, and I'm going to call you out. Because y'all think, y'all think that it's gonna be like this, right? Like most of your view of eternity is that you're gonna be sitting in a, an excellently soft pew, singing songs, raising your hand, and Jesus is gonna be walking instead of me, right? Y'all gonna be like, Jesus is gonna be giving you sermons all, all day. I wanna tell you that though that would be cool, it's better than that. It's better than that, right? It's, it's, it's a, it's a very real thing. Right? It's a very real thing. It will not be boring in any way. So, how do we make sense of Christ has a physical body, real resurrected body, and Paul can truly say here that Christ is in you. Right? So, in all that he's saying here, what the truth that needs to be coming out of this scripture is that the Holy Spirit has been given to you. Right? You live walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here comes just the amazingly true and intimate understanding of the relationship that we find among the Godhead. Three in one, this, this idea of the Trinity. It is, they are so identical in their essence and in their nature. Yet they are distinct, right? They are dist- they are absolutely distinct. We find in the Gospels this picture of Jesus being baptized, Holy Spirit descending, God speaking. So we get all three in the same place, very distinct, 
right? Playing very distinct roles. Yet, we find this here, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Christ in you, right? Now, I want us to get that, that the Spirit of God is in you, right? I want us to get that the Spirit of Christ is in you. And I want you to get that that is such a real reality that Christ is in you. Right? Understand that before he was born in a manger, he was. Right? Before Abraham was, I am, he tells us. Right? This is the nature of Christ. He is eternal. And he is joined in a physical body, real like and these truths exist simultaneously, eternally now. Christ will always have a body and He will always dwell through the Holy Spirit in you. And this should transform the way that we live our lives. Right? This should transform the way that we live our lives. Although the body is dead because of sin. Can we get a, a real truth here that, that without Christ coming back before every one of you in, I'm going to say, a hundred years, barring some scientific advancement that would give us longer lives, but you will all die eventually, you're going to be dead. The body that you are in is cursed with the fall. And if we were honest with ourselves, death is going to be better than this for us. I want you to I want you to know that to be true. That death for you is better than your life being bound up to these carcasses of death that you walk in now. And that the bodies that we will be given in the resurrection are better than bodies corrupted by the fall. Better than bodies that still carry with it the weight and the baggage of sin. Oftentimes luring us because we have not prepared our minds into sin. The life and the hope that you have is life. Is life. Real life. Bodily life. Right? You will have bodies. Right? You will have bodies. Christ had a body. He is the first fruit of a harvest. Not first fruit of a harvest and then there's going to be a second harvest. But He is the first fruit of the harvest of us. The church. Do you get that? You could tell what the harvest would look like from what? From the first fruits. So in the way that Christ was raised, you have that hope. And it exceeds, it exceeds, far exceeds, what you think that you could do with the life that you have now. Right? Far exceeds. If the Spirit... Verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, again, we got Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, but if Christ, and now we get if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So I want you to get that through this text, He's going to throw at you about every way that you could hear said Holy Spirit, 
right? So that you get the intimacy of what's taking place, what you have been brought in as a partaker of here. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now I want you to flip back with me to chapter 6, verse 4. Now this was a couple of sermons ago, so I want to remind you of this, because Paul is now kind of, uh, in, in a way, bookending what he's already told us and what he was already kind of alluding to. See, when we went through chapter 6, I was already looking forward to chapter 8. I want you all to get this, that a lot of the things that I was telling you were allusions to truths that we were going to dig into heavily in chapter 8. So I want you to go back with me now to chapter 6, verse 4, and I want you to see now how this is the truth that we were bringing out of the text in chapter chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised. Do you all remember that sermon? Just as Christ was raised. How was Christ raised? Flip back. Flip back to chapter... One again. Chapter one, verse four. Actually, we'll just start in, in one one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets, the holy in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now, forward that back into chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised, how was Christ raised? By the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ was raised. Right? So just as Christ was raised, now let's flip back over to chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of him who, now look at Look at the wording that he uses here. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life. Where does your life come from? From God. Through His Spirit. So when you're struggling, when you're warring with sin, with your flesh, where is your hope for life? Where is your hope for Christ? Or where is your hope for life? It's in Christ. Where will your life be found? For eternity in Christ. For eternity you will find life in Christ. But here's an amazing promise. Is it doesn't start when you die. Can I yeah, I heard a, I heard a small amen. Can I get a it doesn't start when you die. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to be one of those preachers that has to like goad you for amen. <laughs> but can I get an amen? <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> Sometimes you got to prod them. We're probably at like the 45 minute mark. So can I get an amen? <laughs> this is one of those points though, for real. Y'all should have caught that. From from the dead will also give life to what? 
your mortal bodies. These bodies that will die, you've been given the Spirit so that you can experience a foretaste of that life now. How does that come? How does that come? Through His Spirit who dwells in you. How do you progress? How do you move forward in this life as a Christian? How does it happen? Through effort and striving? Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. I want you to, I want you to understand this. That the driving force in your sanctification as a believer is not your effort. Your effort plays a secondary role to the Holy Spirit. That, and I don't know, I don't know how that I could say that. You, you gotta experience this in your life. Knowing, and, and I often I will say it in this kind of way. That sometimes, believe it or not, God may place you in the right place at the right time and give someone a word to preach to you so that you will change. Do you, do you, we, I don't know how many times I've heard at this church. Let's get revival, and it starts with you, brother. It starts with you, and it starts with you, and it starts with God. And revival comes when God sends revival. It is His Spirit that moves us. It is His Spirit that moves you first, and you react to it. Know this. Know this, and this is why God is sovereign over all. Right? God is sovereign over all, and that does not exclude your walk with Him. Your trials, your tribulations, the hard days, the good days, the ordering of those. Do you know that? Do you get that? That God is in control. Absolute control. Sovereign, all-powerful control. And He dwells in you. And how often is it, how often is it that we place our troubles higher than we place the God who is sovereign over the trouble. How often do we fix our eyes on the storm instead of the one who is sovereign over sending the storm? All things. All things work together. I hope that you know that that's where I'm pointing with this word. I hope that you can see that now. Let's push on. Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, if by what? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And in case you think that that's going to fail, 
right? In case you think he's like, well, if, some big ifs in there. I want you to continue on. Let's continue on. 4, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Again, again, I just want to put this out there, that there are some clear pointers to who we are as believers. Right? The clearest of which is the inner testimony of God's Spirit with your spirit. 4, verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery. What did you receive? If you did not receive a spirit of slavery, what then? What spirit dwells in you? Here's what I, I want you to, I want you to question seriously. What spirit dwells in you? If, for the length of your Christian life, you find yourself fearful. I'm not saying that you may not be an, a, a young Christian. You may not find that there are times that you're like, Man, I, ain't, I ain't got it, I ain't got it. But here's what I promise you, that the Holy Spirit will lead you to be fearless people. He will lead you to be fearless people. The history of the church is littered with the burnt bodies, the devoured flesh of men and women who were made fearless. Who were made fearless in the moment. In the moment of trial. By what do you think that happened? Do you think that it happened because there was a spirit of slavery, a spirit of doubt that dwelled within them? No, absolutely no, a hundred times no. You, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. You are the children of God Himself. Do you have any idea what that, what that encompasses? Do you have any idea what that means? There is much of what that means, and we're gonna get into some of it at the end of this, the next verse or so, that when I speak of it, I'm like, that almost doesn't even seem like I should be saying that. Like what Christ gets, I get. Glory Christ gets, I get. Like that, that almost, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel right, but that's what God's Word speaks to the position which we've been given, granted by who? Christ through who? Christ in who? With who? Christ. Whose glory will it be when we enjoy it? As full-fledged heirs, children of the King, Christ will get all the glory. All the glory will be given to Him. Because He alone is worthy of it. And then we find ourselves here. Here's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves being the one whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is what you can say to Him. The one whom you before Christ deserved nothing but His full-fledged right 
life on you. You can cry out to Him as a child cries out to their father. And what does a good father do when their child cries out to Him? Does He hear them? Does He neglect them? But what if, what if you're pulling the splinter out and it hurts? What if sin is a splinter wedged so deep within us that sometimes it takes unspeakable trials for us to see, for us to see sin for what it is? What if, what if in eternity we see sin for what sin is? I want to tell you this, when you step forward into eternity, you will see sin for what sin is. You will not be wiped clean. You will be given a greater perspective. Right? Again, again, one of those things we think we're going to get memory wiped, like we'll look at a scripture like all tears are wiped away. Well, the only way that I couldn't only way that I couldn't cry over it is if I didn't remember it. And here's what I want to tell you is that God is all knowing, eternally all knowing. So it does not take forgetting for the tears to dry up. It takes a higher and greater view for the tears to dry up. That is the hope for which we hold to. Not a hope that God's doing things and then He's going to have to erase, He's going to have to hit the erase button at the end. Because man wasn't that whole thing screwed up. That was the worst experiment that could have happened. Let's just make them all forget about it. How about God is working all things together? And you will see that clearly then. You will see it with a higher perspective then. Again, know who you are. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So how do we know who we are? God's Spirit, which dwells within us, testifies with our spirit who we are. You can know. You can know. Without a doubt, you can know. Because the Spirit dwells in His children. The Spirit dwells in His children. And, if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Let that sink in on you for a second. Because that's the one that I'm like, man, I just, kid, that, I know me. Right? I know me. I know my heart. I know that God's still got a lot of work to do. And you're telling me that the one who was sinless, spotless, blameless, selfless, gave himself for me? That by faith in him, I'm joined as a fellow heir of Christ? That his inheritance is my inheritance? That his father, I can call Abba, Father, what a, 
What a humbling thing that is to consider, church. What a humbling thing it is when we know who we are, when we know who we would be apart from the work of Christ, when we know the work that's been done and still how much needs to be done in us. And we find this is the hope that we have. Not one that he's going to be like, well, you know, that was a test adoption. I'm done with you now. (laughs) I realized you were a bad son. Sorry. Go back. No. No. He's shaping us, informing us. We will be heirs with Christ. Provided that we suffer with Him. Whoa, hold up a second, right? Like, I'm good with the, the fellow heirs, the joint heirs. I'll sit for a moment and be like, yeah, that's humbling, brother. It's all kind of humbling. But now you're telling me that i got to suffer with Him? Provided that. Provided that, right? Look at this text. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. With Christ, provided we suffer with Him. Let that not trouble your minds, right? Let that not trouble your minds. I want to give you this thought to consider in this. And we're going to deal with suffering next week in full, or as full as we can do when we're covering just a single verse, right? So I want you to consider this thought, that when you step forth in eternity, one moment in glory, reflecting back on the best of days, will seem as suffering seems today. I'm going to say that again. That when we step forward into glory, when we see the completion of the work that God has been doing, and we become those full heirs, having received the new bodies that we've been promised, seeing creation done up in a way that you can't even imagine, when we step forward into that and we reflect back on this life, the best of days here will seem as suffering compared to the days that you have there. That will be perspective. You take the best of days, the best of days that you have now. The hope that you have, and you can't really say the worst of days there, but just allow me the analogy. The hope that you have in the worst of days in eternity will be so much greater than the hope that you have in the best of days here that it will not be worth comparing. Right? Not be worth comparing. And you will not be memory wiped of the whole thing. You will not. You will see clearer. You will see from a higher perspective. You will understand Romans chapter 8, verse 28, in a way that we cannot understand it today. Know that. Know that to be true. Provided that we suffer with Him, and it doesn't end there, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Do you see the hope that we have Those who deserved condemnation receive with Christ His glory. The glory that will fall on Christ will fall on you. And that's another one of those that I want to be quite honest with you. I stand knowing that to be true 
And I find myself thinking, I ain't worthy, man. I ain't worthy. I ain't worthy. And I, if, if you were to pass by me, probably the first couple 10,000 years, I ain't worthy of this, man. So what you're going to hear me. I ain't worthy of this. I ain't worthy of this. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power and riches. Worthy is the Lamb. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day and for your glory. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, I'm sorry where I fail you, where I fall short. Um, Lord, I ask that you would forgive me. I'm so sinful, so fallen, so broken, so need, so in need of your Holy Spirit to continue working in my life. I just I pray that you would help me to cling to the truth of this scripture. I pray that you would continue through the work of your Holy Spirit renewing my mind. Lord, press me into the truth of your word. Give me understanding. Give me wisdom. Give us, Lord, as a church, understanding. Give us wisdom, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in us. Lord, I pray that you would move us. Lord, I pray that you would move us. Lord, you know you've heard me say that if you don't move, then we won't be moved. How true is that? How true it is that you move in us. Would you move in us? You do not leave us still. You do not leave us fixed where you are, but your Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, moves in our lives, moves through preaching, moves through studying of your word. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would solidify these truths in us in ways that would cause us to live dramatically different lives than those around us. Lord, that we would live selflessly, that we would live giving all that we have, Lord, that we would pour this life out, that we would pour it out as an offering to you, Lord, because in that, Lord, if we can, if we can live that selflessly, that selflessly, then they will know that our hope is greater. Lord, they will hope, they will know that our hope is greater because how foolish is it to pour out this life if Christ is not raised from the dead? If this is my one run, if you really get only one life, and I waste it, but oh Lord, if you've given us new life, if you've given us new life and, and we live in that way, we live our lives today that would show the world that our hope is not found here. Lord, I pray that you would grant us that. Lord, I pray that you would give that to us through the power and the leading of your Holy Spirit. It is in Christ's name and for his eternal glory.